Welcome to the New Media Show, folks. And of course, my name is Todd Cochran, and I want to, and I want, of course, want to introduce uh, my co-host, Mr. Rob Greenlee, who has the most notches on his podcasting employment belt. Anyway, good morning, Rob. Welcome to the show, Todd. Yeah, (laughs) it's great to be uh, back with the New Media Show. I know we haven't been as as regular with the show lately because of lots of. Um, changes going on and um, travels that we're on. I know I was back at the Outlier Podcast Festival last weekend. So, uh, you know, and then Todd, you're you're pulling your studio apart. So it's kind of hard to make everything, um, you know, work well as podcasters when you're, when you're, out of the pocket and destroying your studio, right? Well, yeah, and I'm I'm doing this I'm doing this show from my couch in my living room, and uh, literally the the studio is in a container. Of course, on the last show we said we were going to have one more live show, and then um, well, we are live now, but not as live as we normally are being video wise. But after right. we got off the show, you said, "Oh, by the way, <laughs> I'll be in uh, Austin." I'm like, "Well, I guess this was the last show." Of course, we couldn't announce it on the podcast but i did put it in the show notes but anyway everyone welcome back and uh rob holy cow dude i'm i'm like <laughs> I, i'm i'm like you sent me a little note say hey by the way uh um today was my last day at uh at spreaker and uh and or and whenever you sent me a note he says uh, yeah. keep it under wraps but i'm going to work for libsyn and i'm like what <laughs> libsyn <laughs> yes what what is this? You know, I've got two robs I have to bash. I'm like, come on! <laughs> oh all, my it, god! It's all healthy, Todd. It's all healthy. <laughs> you, you, you know, it's just like I'm just okay. Here's a prediction, folks. Today is uh, May. What is it? May 25th, 2019. Yes. So we'll give Rob. We'll give give this Rob about three years and then who knows where he's going to go work for. Maybe he'll go work for Luminary or somebody like that in three years. Hey, it's all about it's life <laughs> is an adventure, Todd. Definitely. Yes, um, it is. Yeah. I was, I was with the uh, speaker for um, about four years. So it was, a- so like I said, put about three, I think, <laughs> Yeah, I, I was making a prediction, and I was talking with the internal team at the company, and I said, "How long be two the two Robs have a fist fight?" So <laughs> I was, so I'm thinking to myself, you know, you two guys are completely, completely, literally, completely different. So I'm thinking, hmm, and this is how long before those two have a have a blowout, and, and then one of the other leaves. So I, we're, we're predicting three years. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I've been friends with Rob for I don't know how many years now. It's been probably at least close to fourteen years now. So yeah, we'll see. No, but it, but at least it's been easy because you've got Rob from Libsyn, we've got Rob from Speaker, and then you know it's so it's now it's like you're a gang, you know, yeah. a gang of Robs, you know. <laughs> <laughs> you know it is funny because so because you know. There has been a lot of teasing on that that's been going on online about it's not Rob, it's now the Robs. <laughs> so, so I do have to ask because you were second. So it's it's Rob at Libsyn dot com for Rob Walsh. What what email address did you end up with? Uh, Rob G. So <laughs> so he so Rob is Rob W now, and I'm Rob G. So. 
Oh, so your, the email over there is totally screwed because he's been Rob at, at Libsyn.com for, since God was born. So anyway, it, it well, sometimes uh, he's going to get my mail and sometimes I, I don't, I probably won't get his mail, but, but sometimes he's going to get my mail, I think. <laughs> <laughs> so you have went over to the dark side. What, what is up with that? Wow. Uh, just, I don't know. It seemed like an interesting place to go. Um, you know, if, if I think about it, that company was around when I started in the podcasting space, and and it seemed like an interesting opportunity. So, you know, I I gave it a shot, and uh, and I'm, you know, the team is welcoming, and and uh, the the lips and oh, there you go, and tools is is doing um, doing fantastic, and you know, if I can add to that and and make things. Uh, even even better and stronger over there is um you know so be it that's that's you know that's a strong company and and it's not to take anything away from what you built Todd I think what you built is a fantastic company too so I think all of us can um, can can compete healthily as well as you know kind of cooperate too so and I think that's gonna gonna continue to to happen as we uh, because I think we have bigger obstacles that we need to um, all focus our, our attention on um, as we look to the future of this, this podcasting medium. I don't, I would think you would agree because of some of the topics that we have coming up. Oh my goodness. Uh, yeah. On the show this week. So, Hey, just by the way, you cut out for about 10 seconds there. So we missed an egg and, and for the record, I'm not controlling the recording of this. So I couldn't have muted Rob if I wanted to. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, but Rob, we missed the uh, your new title over there. What what is your new oh, title? It's, it's uh, VP of uh, Content and Partnerships. Okay, all right. So maybe it got heard on your end, but I definitely didn't hear it. It, it cut out on this side on Skype. So I didn't maybe. actually say that. So until now. Oh, okay, okay, all right. <laughs> Yeah, because it just all of a sudden you were gone there for a second. But anyway, well, that's good. Well, congratulations on the move. I'm still going to have to tease you on this. Uh, and I, uh, I fully expected that, uh, Todd. <laughs> <laughs> so, all right, well, cool. Um, I think that uh, just kind of get us on topic here. Um, and, of course, exciting to see uh, your switch here. But I've... I, I posted on um, Facebook earlier in the week um, in the podcast movement group just a, a little post, and in, 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 I'm just basically kind of venting a little bit on um, going back to the IP podcast measurement guidelines in that we continue to have companies that are saying they're compliant with the guidelines, and obviously they're not, and then – I mean, it's, it, it would totally um, – and I didn't have any advance notice of any um, announcements being made or any blog posts. But ironically, the following day, um, PodTrack posted a blog post saying yep. that they were taking a significant haircut in, in basically to become IB compliant, well, to be certified. And – I, and of course, I've kind of known for a while that their numbers were, for a better word, high, mm-hmm. and they uh, <clears throat> they publicly acknowledged that in a blog post. And 
they're talking about the haircut. So um, they're, they're taking, they say 20%. I think for a lot of their podcasters, it's going to be much more. Um, personally, I think the Delta is uh, near double that. But uh, we'll see as as they as they make these changes. But there were telltale signs in their top 10 report that something was amiss because the numbers had dropped dramatically from the month before. Mm-hmm. So we all knew that um, companies were going to make adjustments as they went through certification. But, you know, the thing, I guess, that mm, – well, it played into my post. I'll be honest. I kind of got lucky on that one. But it, it played into my post in that we've been going around since January talking to media buyers, big Big holding groups, big holding groups that hold, you know, huge percentages of digital advertising, and all of them pretty much to a T. We don't have a problem. We don't have a problem. We don't have a problem. Mm-hmm. And I just, I wonder. Um, you know, I like Mark and his team over there. Um, he's not as engaged with the community as I would say, you, I, and. And Rob Rob Walsh, mm-hmm. uh, you don't see PodTrack at events, and they they work with a lot of big networks. They go to a big events, but they're 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 really kind of um, uh, you know talking to their big partners. Yeah, I mean, agreed. They're they're not as engaged. Uh, I don't believe uh, Mark has ever had a podcast, has he himself? Oh. It it fits into my. My rant here in that what happens now? Okay, so if 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 Podtrack's been their numbers have been high, what happens for all these uh companies that have been billing media buyers now with their numbers? Right. It's you know Certainly true that uh, it looks like we're not through the haircutting phase. I would have thought that we would have been through more of the of the trimming of the numbers, as I say, as what's turning out to be the case. Because um, the IAB guidelines, the, the V2 spec came out a long time ago. Um, and for us to be continuing to have companies take large percentage, you know, cut downs and reductions – is a little unfortunate to to see happen, in my view. Um, but I think it is the reality of the the market, though. Um, you know, I'm 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 just happy that it's happening. Um, and if you know, sometimes it can be embarrassing for the platforms because they've made claims that are otherwise, and and that is that is unfortunate. Um, you know. But the process is creating um, changes. Um, this IAB certification is um, basically exposing the the inflated numbers that have existed out there, and and many will will tell you that um, even the IAB numbers, um, you know, can you trust those too? And it's just like, well, it's you know, it's like this argument that all numbers, counting numbers in the digital realm, are are, are not trustable. Um, but I think, I mean, of any of the, the numbers out there, whether counting, um, 
banners or counting other types of, of activities on online. I, you know, I mean, how many years did 36 companies spend trying to come up with the standard way of counting? And I think it's as good as we're ever going to get. I don't know what you think, Todd, on that. Well, I'm going to be frank. Um, well, okay. Let, let's just go back up for the people that are, <clears throat> that are not um, tuned in. And is, you know, when we, if we go all the way back to like 2008, <clears throat> a group of us kind of got together in the ADM. Uh, Association Download Media and came up with a set of standards. They were not as extensive as the yeah. uh, IBs, but it was a it was a good start. Mm-hmm. And the fundamentals of that um, document did end up in the IB V one V two document. So when when we heard that the IEB had formed a a podcast committee to work on standards, we weren't involved with IB at that time. Um, Libsyn wasn't. PodTrack wasn't. And we all quickly rushed and signed up for the IEB to be part of this uh, audio committee so that we could have a say. And we kind of joined, would you say we joined midstream of that conversation? It was early, early days yet. Yeah, it was early. I know I was on that. Not that group, because back then I was working at, at Podcast One, um, and that's and then you guys all came in um, and and added a lot to the conversation. I mean, I I think well, the, the group that was there was probably not entirely happy that you guys came in, but oh no, not at <laughs> all. They were not happy because we came in and uh, literally dumped over the apple cart. Right, and we talked about this on this show. If you go back in history, we talked about this, and that those discussions were not without pain. Yes, P A I N, and it really boiled down to the point where we were being um, tested to prove our. So we had this. This big meeting at NAB, or his meeting of the technical mom. Yeah, Todd is explaining how the the early days of the um, the IAB um, working podcast uh, metrics working group uh, kind of formed in the early days, and 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 how it was primarily a, a group of broadcasters uh, or on online um, pod podcasters. Yeah, so you know. I don't know where you were left off, but really the the IB pain point here was is that we had to prove what we were saying was indeed fact. Right. And and finally, over time, everyone kind of came into alignment, and we worked over sticking points. And again, this was a huge effort. There was a lot of companies involved. A lot of people were silent. A lot of people were weighing in. There was vocal characters like us, like Libsyn, like PodTrack. There was a very vocal folks from Podcast One, you know, and I, 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 you know, I had to be careful here because I don't want to get get into the uh, too deep in the weeds here because I'd probably get in trouble. But you know, there, there was lots of healthy discussions to get us to where we were. Yeah, I think that the discussion back then was 
um, you know, all these companies had a different perspective on it and how, how to do it. I know podcast one had a very distinct and different <laughs> view on how to, how to count this stuff. And it was a combination of data, uh, real world data, um, combined with survey data. And it, it didn't turn out that that was the model that was going to be acceptable because this is a digital medium, not a, not a broadcast medium combined with digital. I mean, th that was an analogy that that um, uh, wasn't going to work um, uh, as you look to, to the future, and it didn't. Um, the digital side, the pure digital one, uh, as far as the, the model that the metrics was built around, and it probably doesn't do too much help to spend too much time talking about that because um, where we are today is so much more advanced, so much more reflective of the real um, user process that happens when when users uh, listen to a podcast, and that's that was the whole point, right? So go ahead, Todd. Yeah, so I, you know, I think we, you know, we put a lot of blood, sweat, and tears into this thing, and everyone did, and you know, the IB, everyone's kind of some of the posts I've seen recently has made the IB out to be this big evil entity, but all they were was facilitators right. of the conversation of companies that you work with today in the podcasting space. It wasn't this outside entity of groups that came in and said, this is what we're going to dictate upon the podcasting community. We dictated this upon ourselves. Mm -hmm. And so – so I was shocked the other day when a couple of people came in and said, we don't need this. This is wrong. We don't trust it. We don't believe the IB data. We don't, we, we don't, we want to use something else. And I'm like, whoa. And in fact, I had a, a ticket, uh, a tech support ticket come in from, um, a customer who said, and she, and it was, I, I was confused initially and, and, she said, where are the other numbers? And I'm like, I'm like, what, what, what other numbers? What are you referring to? She says, the, the non-IEB numbers. And I'm like, there are no other numbers with us. We have one set of numbers that are IB, Podcast Management Guidelines Version 2, compliant certified or certified compliant. We don't have another set of non-IB numbers. As a matter of fact, we've never had a n different set of numbers, but she wanted those other set of numbers because she didn't want to bill her media buyer with those numbers. Mm -hmm. So, it, you know, that was a double whammy for me. I was like, whoa, what, what, you know, and I'm, so I had to go through and almost via email, tell her this exact kind of conversation we're having here. So, you know, this audience should be well attuned to it, but then, you know, we've got people, we understand that DR is, in matter of fact, most media buyers have a weighted, um, weighted IOs <laughs> as far as how much they pay each company uh, based upon DR, DR performance uh, coming out of um, different groups. So different, um, different podcasting companies 
that rep companies or that rep, rep podcasters may actually get different payment rates based upon how they do reporting back to those buyers. It's been said publicly by media buyers that they know they get better, you know, the same exact campaign across 500 shows, it, you know, on one one network, uh, the performance is much different and they pay them a much different rate than they would another network. And it's largely they back it back out based upon performance. Mm-hmm. So the numbers are not as important in DR from a CPM standpoint, but largely ad deals are still done via CPM. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's a it's a measurement of performance is really where it comes into why, why it's important. So, so you know, and I had someone tell me, "You're not talking with you. This is not how ad deals are done anymore." And I'm like, "Okay, <laughs> I." That's news to me that we're – and, yeah, some shows you pay get paid a flat rate. Um, some pay, shows they pay more premium on because they have a, more engagement. Yeah, of course there's variables there. But on the for the majority, you're usually lumped in at a pretty similar CPM for individual – because you know, I don't break out shows often. I often do bulk deals. So, you know, we all run at the same CPM rate. So, but I'm just a little surprised about some, some podcasters pushback. And I, did you, did you see that thread? What did you think? Which thread? The one on Facebook about the, yeah. the whole IAB? I mean, I thought that yeah. there was, I think the, the thrust of that conversation was really about, um, are, are we going to, uh, I guess demonize companies that are they're announcing taking a haircut um, in their numbers, or are we just going to be kind of like really really proactive about it and just say, you know, um, if if you've been putting out incorrect numbers, uh, let's just all get on the same page uh, and just be upfront about it as much as possible. And I well, think just that, remember, yeah. yeah. But just remember, I wasn't writing about PodTrack when I wrote the post originally. I didn't know that they were going to announce the haircut the next day. Had no right. clue. Right. But it but but it came out, you know, and that's what kind of and then other people um, kind of pointed it out, right? And and that kind of took the conversation that you had started up there. Because yeah. I think that the bigger conversation that you had in your particular post was. What, what was more about this distinction between companies um, saying that they're compliant um, right. when, when they maybe aren't, you know, um, and, and they definitely aren't if they're not certified, right? So, right. Because most of the companies that have gone through, and this is what I've heard anyway, and I can, I can speak from a little bit of experience here, most of the companies that have been through the certification process have had to make some adjustments, um, not, you know, I I think where the adjustments have been is kind of at a relative degree, right? I mean, it could be a minor one, it could be a small one, and those that have been really fully supportive of the IAB metrics standard uh, probably didn't have to take much of a haircut. Um, but it's the truth be told is, is that sometimes there's code that doesn't get changed exactly or the whitelists or the blacklists, um, it hasn't really been fully built out. 
um, right. to to block bots and things like that that are making uh, file requests or certain um, uh, podcast catchers that are making duplicate requests for media files or you know head requests versus file requests or those kind of, and then the system is counting those as multiple requests. So I think that there's um, lots of issues that can come up in a network that maybe got either overlooked um, and didn't get really looked at with a fine-tooth comb that happens with the certification process as we Oh, yeah. Um, so things can get exposed. Um, I think where you were pointing it out was kind of like it, it seemed like was kind of more of a blatant kind of deception, right, uh, of, of saying that you're compliant, but maybe – the people that are making those claims don't aren't coders, right? Aren't in the code to know what's really going on, right? And nobody's done that actual comparison that can only happen from a certification process um, to 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 really know. But I was definitely glad to see that PodTrack came out and just you know fessed up, you know, and said you know we're not there and we're going to be there, and and it it looks like they've they've been proactive and taking a haircut here and i think that gets us to where we all want to be don't get me wrong um i'm glad that they have because we yep. knew that there was a problem right exactly so now, now they've acknowledged it, that they, they had a problem and just like what you were seeing and i know james cridlin was seeing it as well um, yeah so i i mean it isn't that um anybody's wrong here i think you know i, I think maybe there was a little bit of a deception that was going on um, but that could be just ignorance. Who knows? You know, I mean, it, it, it's hard to point the finger too hard at that. Um, you know, because we all had to take haircuts. It's just like I've been saying for a long time, it's better to take the haircut as soon as possible than it is to put it off. Cause if you're going to put off taking this haircut, uh, it's only going to get worse. <laughs> you know, and, and we had realized that, that the redirect um that's a big problem. that there were some there were some fundamental things with redirect right and and maybe they didn't realize and we you know we realized that early on and maybe they didn't realize it as soon um just because there's not as much data in the redirect and you know we're the two right. that do the majority of redirect there's i think two more that are out there that do redirect uh Right. Uh, stats. So you know, nothing is better than the hosting stats, obviously, because you know we've had to make. Um, well, I'll just, and I think I said it on the last show. If you're on a, if you're with Blueberry at least, and you're on the redirect, and you switch to a, to the to hosting, uh, you actually might see an increase in your download numbers. Not right. a lot, but yeah. a little, a, a little. It could go uh, the other way, right? Because it, because there's more data coming in. Right. There's more data to qualify. The key is it's all about the qualifying of the of the download. So sometimes there's not we don't get as much data in in the redirect, and it's for a variety of reasons. So mm-hmm. it, it is what it is, uh, just because it's the limitation of the you know of, of what you're collecting. So I think that. Um, you know, we had kind of seen some of that, but you know, you're right too about the blacklist. And this was another um, point that one of the, well, actually, in the same email thread I had with this client, they basically said, uh, "We don't want you to use a blacklist." And I'm like, 
So you want me to remove um, every AWS server, every data center computer, um, every Microsoft uh, Azure, every Google Cloud. You want me to remove all those computers from our exclusion list. Right. And basically the client said, yes. I'm like, no, <laughs> because what will happen, what will happen is, and it's just like, okay, so if we remove bots, yeah. you, do you know how much of an increase people's downloads would go up if we remove bots? It would be, people would be like, oh my God, my audience has doubled. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> it's literally that much traffic that is junk. Right. It's not audience. That's the thing. No, it's not audience. It's, it's, it's a machine. It's computers pinging some part of the RSS feed. Yeah, there, there are bots that yeah. there are bots that download Rob download entire media files. Why I don't know. They're dumb. Why is the bot downloading the media file and it has nothing? It's we go and look at the research and we say, what is this bot related to? What company's running it? Why is that bot downloading? podcast and they download the whole file well there are are platforms out there that are selling downloads you know you come in and buy downloads right well i I don't know that's the kind of things that you need to 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 block so so it's you know i don't want to beat a dead horse here too far but um i think that if you have a problem with the ieb podcast measurement guidelines, you need to start coming back to the podcast companies that made those guidelines and asking questions. Don't blame the IEB. Mm -hmm. Again, the IEB was the facilitator of the conversation and helped this shape. Boy, it was not an enviable position for them to be because they had to, you know, help guide and direct and help us stay focused on getting this thing done. Right. And it was not was not easy. Well, let's be honest about it here, Todd. I mean, for a, for a significant period of time, th- there was a faction in the group, in the IAB working group, that uh, you know, was not a fan of downloads. Um, and even addressing the whole issue of downloads uh, was not something that uh, people really wanted to even deal with. It's almost like they... I don't know. I mean, it, it was kind of really not very rational, but a, but but a, but a chunk of the people that were involved in the IEB working group um, fairly early on were people that were more on the streaming side, or they would prefer that this be more of a streaming medium. Um, so it's and to some degree, I think that still exists. And I think we start looking at these music streaming services, and you can kind of see um, where that's going. Um, I did notice that Google is doing more with the um, auto downloading. So I think, you know, as far as in their Google podcast area, it seems like that there's more stuff going on there. So, which is good. But, um, but yeah, Todd, I think this whole conversation about companies claiming to be compliant um, and the whole confusion that exists around what is IEB compliance, right? Um, because the IEB has confused things uh, for us um, by making the certification a compliance situation, right? So 
I mean, have you, I mean, what are we going to do about that problem? Because I think that's, that really cuts to the core of this whole issue is the IEB hasn't really been clear uh, in their specifications and their certification identification, right? Their, their button that you put on your, your website stating that you're certified. It, it needs to state that you're certified to be compliant, um, not just compliant because lots of companies have been claiming compliance as we've seen, uh, and then turned out not to be right. Yeah. I probably don't want to lay out what I have discussed with the IEB. I'll let your imagination on that. Right. Right. Determine that conversation. Fair enough. But, but nonetheless, that that's, that's the crux of the, of the issue, right? Is, is how do we get this conversation to be changed in the direction that it needs to be? And that's, that's, uh, I'm not, you know, I'm not scared of talking about that or, or wanting to, to have that change happen. I think it's, it's, it's an obvious thing in my view. Um, but I don't know that the IEB is going to make a, make this, make a change or not. I think. Well, one thing that, um, you know, there's been some discussion about a couple of loopholes that are in the guidelines and um, in wanting to close some of those loopholes. Um, And uh, I think myself and a couple other people are very much in favor of closing a couple of loopholes. Uh, but I think it's, um, for a better word here, uh, there's resistance, uh, by maybe a few people to, uh, to close, um, to close those loopholes. So what would you say is an example of one of, of a loophole? Um, well, let me see here. Let me see if I can find the actual, um, conversation here that that happened let me go back talking about a methodology of counting or are you talking about um i mean is there some flexibility in the spec is that what you're saying as far as a loophole or well i was talking about the it gives there's language in the um in the podcast measurement guidelines is that it's about the window. It's about the 24-hour window. Oh, yeah, rolling versus static, right? Is that the... Well, I'm not so worried about... I'm not, I'm not worried about rolling or static. I think either one of those methods is fine. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, you know, Libsyn, I think you guys use a rolling. We use a static. Yeah. Um, probably the rolling window is... You get a few more downloads out of a rolling window than you do out of a static window um not much i think we did the analysis and it was i mean it was like almost nothing so i don't think that there is a um but companies are allowed to use a window other than 24 hours but they have to describe their methodology and why they use a window different than 24 hours i think i would like to have that window the forced window of 24 hours be set. Right. And it's not currently. I thought it was, I thought you had to be at a 24 hour window in order to be certified. Well, they can use any window as long as they 
explain why they're using a different window. That's the kicker here. Oh, uh, so that's that's the loophole you're talking about. Right. Okay. And I'd like to have that loophole closed. And there's some that are probably very resistant to closing that loophole. Right. <clears throat> I mean, so the bottom line think- really, Todd, to all this, and, you know, when we start talking about loopholes is that we're still going to see variability between platforms and, and numbers, right? So if you're doing a podcast and you move from one platform to the other, um, there's a very good chance that you're going to see changes in your numbers. Uh, well, if they're right. if they're on a twenty four hour window, fixed or rolling, I think that that'd be hardly very, it, very minimal. Minimal. But if yes, but if they go to a host that's on a twelve hour window, right? Then you oh see yeah, changes. see big right. difference. Yeah, right, right. But so I'm you know I'm reading the certifications coming out very closely because I'm looking to see. Looking for any language that indicates some anyone I, I want to know if someone gets a certification outside of a twenty four hour window, right? And and the justification and the and how they're accounting for the potential for increased, you know, for double counting. So, right. So you know that you know that's one. Just one, and believe it or not, of all that pages of that document, if I've got that as a single concern, I think we're pretty close mm-hmm. to you know to where we need to be. But I, I, I'm just um, podcasters say that uh, I don't have to worry about this compliance. I don't have to worry about certification. Media buyers don't care. Well, maybe the DR folks don't, and that's okay if the DR folks don't. They're they're crossing it again back to performance on how well how many widgets they sold, but to get Tied and Ford and Geico and you know Sony and all these big national brands to come in and do brand ads, you know we all have to be on the same page. And maybe maybe in the end maybe it won't maybe those will be all for mute. Maybe those BDA buyers will never come in and spend money in the space. But this is what the media buyers have told us. This is what we were told by all these groups. This is why the big brands are not coming in because there's too much variability in the space. Mm-hmm. I would tend to to agree. You know, so they don't know what we, they're 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 actually getting when they buy something, right? Right. And I know we spend a lot of time on this particular topic, and maybe the audience is tired of it, but um, I, I guess I just need the audience's help and helping them understand that, well, the main two points, the guidelines were done by podcasting companies that you work with today and not by some, and, you know, and they referred to us as suits. I'm like, my God, please do not refer to me as a suit. Um, I am not a suit. <laughs> I, I was part of the original, you know, stick it to the man, um, you know, rebel group of podcasters that were in the beginning of this space. That's no. <laughs> yeah, that's how this medium started. I, you know, I can't talk about that enough that that's the original culture of this medium was as a, 
is a reaction to over-commercialization uh, and consolidation of radio. I mean, that's one of the the motivations behind the existence of uh, the podcasting um, realm. I mean, if I go back to the, think- the early days of the medium, um, running advertising was not cool <laughs> in your point. Oh, no. no. And, and, and at the same point, also, it was about no one controlling distribution. And in the end, that's what it still is today, is there's no one controlling distribution, although that everyone's worried about some groups coming in and trying to uh, and, you know, put their pressure on controlling distribution. It, it's, RSS sets us all free. It's not possible for the medium to be controlled. Now, that said, there are always going to be some verticals that do their own thing. And if you want to be on those verticals and participate in their ecosystem, well, you know, they're going to do things their way, and that's the way it is. So so be it. Um, I don't care where people listen to the content as long as they listen, right? Yeah, yeah that's, that's certainly true. You know, it's all about building audience. And if you can be, be in all the places that people listen to spoken word audio, then, then you're, you're more likely to be successful. So I think that's that's the backbone of this medium so anyway we've we beat a dead horse here quite a bit so what else is happening in the space rob well all sorts of stuff i mean i i mean if you look in the the news uh, you know there's activity going around i i know that spotify announced that they were they had a um a product that they were they were involved in i guess uh that's um, browser-based podcast audio editor, so they're getting involved in um, helping people create content. And, and Google Podcasts is, I guess, uh, you know, enabling downloading. So lots of stuff going on on that that side of stuff. Uh, is there anything that jumped out for you, Todd? Well, I think the Google enabling downloading is and actually promoting it. Yeah, um, that's great. Is big, and it goes right bend back to that. The download is still king, my friends. Yes, say what you will. Now streaming, you know, Spotify does streaming, so you know that's you know making headway. Um, iHeartMedia, I had to laugh a little bit because they reached two hundred fifty thousand shows over there. And by the way, Rob Geek News Central was finally approved to be on iHeartMedia after being, uh, I think my application in was in for a year. <laughs> so um, they've, they've definitely uh, turned on the, uh, I think they're figuring out more is better and you can't be, uh, you can't be as uh, restrictive in who you're having on your platform. So, um, so that's good. At the same time, the, I, I had to giggle when they said they had 250,000 podcasts. They didn't really say how many of those were actually active, though. The um, the uh, numbers that we're seeing right now, and we did some some new runs for the month, and it probably will come out in a, a New York Times article here soon. Is the um, for April um, we saw one hundred and thirty one thousand shows that had created a new episode in the last 90 days and just over 200,000 shows that had produced 
a new episode in the last year. So the numbers haven't changed that much from a year ago. Um, a little higher on number of shows have created a new episode in the last 90 days. So even though we've got all these new podcasts rolling in, the rolling average still continues to be around 130,000 shows that are actively creating a podcast um, at least once within a 90-day window. Really? It's still only 130,000? Wow. Yeah. You know, and it's, it's it's up a little bit. I think last year we were at 129, and I think the numbers we looked at, again, for April was 131. And a yeah. little higher the long, I think, a like 209 or something on the uh, produced an episode in the last year. Wow. Wow. That's, in some ways, that it's fairly shocking numbers when you think about it, um, considering that the total catalog... Um, is well over 700,000 now. So, which means that there's a lot of shows that are just, um, uh, pod fading. I mean, is the, is the term for it. Um, and that the pool of competitive shows, right? Shows that you as a podcaster are competing against that, that list of shows is not as big as I think a lot of people, uh, for many years thought there was in the space. No, not at all. Yeah. So, you know, it's still possible to build a show and be successful, I think, um, given these numbers. Because that's a global number, Todd. That's right. That's a global number. Yeah. yeah. That's just not in the, just in the U.S. So, And, and I, you know, we did some looking around it. Obviously, some of the other players that have been known for creating a wasteland of dead shows, and those numbers are astronomical. Um, we have networks out there that have 80,000 dead shows. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's really to that point, it's, it's quite shocking that there are, you know, and, and we also are looking at longevity. Uh, I can, I can go in and look at, um, company X. I can look at it, you know, and this is the power of having a directory is definitely can look at, you know, all right, what's the average lifespan of a show? And show lifespans are growing. Um, that's a good thing. So that will, you know, that number of 131,000 should start to inch up based upon the data that we're seeing on longevity of shows. But um, but still that hurdle, those initial hurdles of getting out of the gate and getting starting and getting to some benchmarks is um, – is a challenge. So if you've made it to 20 or 25 episodes, you are in the minority mm-hmm. and uh, congratulations. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's not easy creating podcast content. I, I don't think in a, in a general sense, I mean, if you're trying to take it to the next level and, and that's, I mean, like what we do with this show here, it's, you know, we just pull up our microphones. Most shows, um, you know, do this whole production. They, they have an outline. They've, you know, especially some of the the scripted programs out there. I mean, you know, serious content producers don't grow on trees, you know, and that's, that's the thing is, and that's what we're learning more and more now is, is we thought this medium was a lot bigger than, than it really is from a content side. Um, but what we're finding is, is that it's, it's actually not that big at all. And so the the quality shows that are building audience are kind of rare. 
So, you know, those are things that we all have to, you know, do the right thing for and keep, keep building on because that's really the future. If we want to build a, you know, a multi-billion dollar advertising marketplace for advertisers in this medium, if that's the goal of a lot of companies, guess what, Todd, we've got some work to do. We've got, you know, there's content that needs to be quality content that needs to be produced. That's not coming on the scene very fast. I went through and did a data poll and um, was looking at breaking out of shows and sizes. And um, I'm very pleased with the number of shows that are at the – well, let's let's look at it from – let me talk about the the methodology here. So if I'm looking at – what I did is I looked at new episodes per month, average downloads per episode – for new episodes released in a given month. So let's say this show where, or let's say Geek New Central, I do eight episodes a month and I have just, you know, let's use a number a thousand listeners that listen to Geek New Central every episode. So if it was a thousand, 10,050, you know, so in other words, simple, simple math to come up with an average number of downloads. Um, if I look at the breakout then of shows that are a hundred thousand listeners, per episode and above up to a million, um, that's a relatively small number. Um, very small. It's, you know, it's in, you know, it's in, uh, uh, the dozens. Then if you look at the shows that are 50,000 to, um, a hundred thousand listeners, well, that number is in, uh, you know, might close to break a thousand. You know, might make a, a thousand shows that break that threshold. And then, if you look at shows that are ten to fifty thousand, well, the number goes dramatically up, dramatically. Mm-hmm. And to me, as I'm looking at those segments, the number of shows that have a hundred listeners to a thousand listeners is decreasing, where the listeners. Um, if I look month to month, the number of – at least on our network and the shows that we measure, if you look at the shows that have 5 to 10 and 10 to 50, those numbers are getting much, much better. So I'm seeing significant growth of – you know, we're seeing growth in, in show listener numbers. Mm-hmm. And shows are having a lot easier time now getting to 1,000 listeners than they were before. Now, granted, the 100 to 1,000 listeners is still a, a, a pretty big number. Right. I think, uh, you know, if we're looking at the, the shows that, uh, you know, we're approximately measuring about 75,000 shows. Um, no, 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 we're not measuring 75,000 shows. We're measuring about 55,000 shows, excuse me. So if we look at that number, we're still five to 10,000 shows that are 100 to 1,000 listeners but the number shows but that used number used to be much much bigger yeah and it's decreasing so i think we're making headway but it's not as incrementally fast as people want but it's also you know what would be great is if i had time to do the whole study and go in and look at each of those segments of of shows and do analysis on each of their websites to say okay what are you doing on your website what are you you know how you know how are you promoting your show? How many of you don't care? How many? It's just someone. It's a friend getting together. You're just having fun. 
The goal isn't to build an audience. The goal is to have a just a conversation with someone because there are shows out there like that. So um, I know that we did some studies early on where we looked at you know, subscribe on Android and how they were making increases. And we saw definite audience increases when people were using that. But I haven't done that in a while either. So I think we're making headway, but it's not as fast as it should be. Right. And it does kind of point to um, a real need out there, I guess, to to focus on the fundamentals and focus on, you know, um, creating better content, I guess. And, uh, and I guess the big thing is, is that, you know, the takeaway for me is that that just doesn't happen um, at large scale at this point. I mean, we're, we're chipping away at this, you know, you look at um, the desire of this industry to grow rapidly and all of the capital investment that's coming into this space. And, and it's really all keyed off of quality content and building audience and, and it's really exciting to see what's going on with Google. I think they're they're they appear to be making steady chips away at improving uh, the Google Podcast platform. But that whole Android audience, Todd, like we've been saying for years, is is key to all this. Um, but the question remains: also, you know, do we have the content to keep that? Um, that audience development growing even over on Android. Because you think of Android as a little different um, consumer than iOS. Um, maybe their their content desires aren't exactly the same as what's been the case, um, you know, with building such a large listener base on iOS. Maybe it's, it's different types of content that's going to build it over on Android. And I, I'm not sure, you know, I haven't heard anybody talking about that. Um too much. I know. I think Tom Webster made some comments about we need more um, quality crap content um, as a comment um, on this same topic. And I, I don't know, Todd. What do you think about that aspect of it? Is it, I mean, do we need to stretch our imagination around what kind of content comes into this medium? Well, I, I don't. You know, I look at. I don't really differentiate an Android listener and an iOS listener is different. Okay, let's use well. Let's 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 segmentize well, it that. Seems like it could be from a demographic. If it's yeah, well, if you look at the U.S. market, um, okay, well, maybe I haven't seen the right data. So are you you made an implication there, uh, Rob. No, so are no, you I saying that Android? So are you saying that uh, Android users? On a social economic are not what what was your implication there because well, right? we sure. have to be careful I mean, here I, I, I'm just posing the question i'm not um it, it just feels okay. like you know there's a different orientation um in reasoning for why I, iOS is in the position that it's in versus android i mean I mean you look at Android from a global perspective, and obviously Android is far and away the the dominant um, operating system on the mobile side, and that's where we're seeing all of the growth and consumption of podcasts. Is it, you know, and and I I believe that those devices tend to um, get adopted by a, a slightly different demographic group. Um, also, you wouldn't see the the huge difference in in, in the adoption, right? I think Android devices tend to be lower cost devices. They tend to be um, 
devices that are are appealing more to the masses, right? So you look at an iOS user uh, who tends to have a you know a fairly I think uh, a fairly definable, maybe high income, um, high high education, typically uh, tech savvy. You look at um, you know the overall numbers of Android users, and, and, and I think it's more mainstream. I think it 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 um, covers more demographic uh, segments than iOS users. I think iOS users tend to to be be um, a little narrower in their demographic. Um, I think if we look at the U- U.S. market, I would say that probably is not necessarily the case. Yeah. But if well, you look at the if you look global, at the global market, right? Global market, I would agree. But at the same time, if we look at the split between who's listening to podcasts, if we look at the global audience of podcasts, right. if you if you break down Brazil and you know, heavy, heavy, heavy Android adoption in Brazil um, and heavy Android listenership in Brazil because the Brazilian content's being, you know, people are speaking Portuguese and making content for their local countrymen. So, of course, um, you would expect uh, Android adoption in Brazil and, and listenership to be huge, and it is. Right. is but here in the United States, I don't think that demographically um, the difference between the is two platforms is much now there is going to be what did I buy my kids androids right right uh, when they were first getting phones because they were cheaper of course yeah. and we know that there's um, definitely a demographic group that can't afford an iPhone and will buy an Android a cheaper Android phone right. um, but I don't think from a I think that I don't think their listening needs are different. Yeah, they can't afford a better phone, but I just don't. Hmm. Yeah, but is that no. that um, group right? Typically, listening more to radio that, than they are online content. That's that's another question too. That that would be, you know, kind of an interesting thing to to analyze as well. I know that that's maybe a project for Tom Webster, but, um, you know, is, is that where we're going to see over, over the next, you know, three to five years, we're going to see more people transition over to the on-demand medium of podcasting, um, you know, away from radio, um, as that, as we see Google, you know, adopt, um, podcasting in a stronger way and it becomes more of a, first party experience. And if I look at diversity of content today, you look at podcast movement from last year, a pretty diverse group of people. It is. Um, yeah. And the content diversity is, I think is there. I think we have good content diversity. So I don't know if there's a lacking of, of, of topical content for different geo demographic folks too. So well, I do think that we're, um, we're, we're a little weak on the language diversity in the medium right now. Um, but maybe that's, maybe that's just going to play to, you know, a fairly narrow niche. Cause if you look at what, what the consumption patterns are <clears throat> outside of the U S <clears throat> excuse me, 
um, for for content is that a lot of podcast content is consumed outside of the U.S. in English. Um, and it's been fairly slow in the creation and um, the growth of listenership in local language um, podcast content has been relatively slow because you think about <clears throat> the scale of English content going into every country in the world um, versus maybe Spanish language content coming out of Spain or something like that that typically only gets consumed in Spain. Uh, right. It's just a much more limited um, audience reach potential of, uh, of more local language content coming out of these countries. Uh, they, you're not going to get a lot of listeners in the U.S. to Spanish language content, though you're going to get you know, a growing number because the population uh, here of Spanish speakers in the U.S. is growing. So uh, you know, over time, maybe some of these barriers to content growth in other languages are going to kind of decline and also i look at culturally you know specifically japanese they're not ones really to stick their neck out and make having a big opinion-based show because they're much more open not a good fit with that right 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 so each country is just a little bit differently culturally and also let's be frank there are some countries that uh economically not a lot of people can even today, even as the low cost of doing podcasts, can't afford to do can't afford to do a show. It's just socially or economically yeah. impossible. Right. So there's that as well. Um, and also, I think uh, you know, adoption rate of podcasting in some of those countries. There's there's obviously some some opportunities there. Um, you know, if you look at uh, Asia, I think there's huge opportunities throughout Asia. I think there's still huge opportunities in Europe. I think there's huge opportunities in Russia. Uh, I think, you know, I think there's uh, some serious potential for growth in places. But also, if you look at countries that have um, regimes that are mm, where speech is not completely free, like China. Uh, yeah. Why did, why in China does so many educational podcasts, why are they so popular? Because educational shows are <laughs> not politics. It's safe. <laughs> right. right. You know, you can't go get locked up and sent to the uh, reform farm by uh, doing education as long as you stay away from politics. Right. Yeah. And probably the same in Russia and some other countries as well. And if people do content there, then they have to do it on the down low and master voice or, you know, it's almost like underground radio. They have because you know, there's life and death consequences for, you know, can you imagine being in Venezuela and yeah. uh, having a political show that's uh, against the the regime down there? You know, they're going to come pull you out of your house and you, you end up face down in a ditch somewhere, you know. Right. So right. Hey, Todd, different I- rules apply. I t- I watched uh, a documentary last night called uh, Corporate Dot FM. I don't know if you saw that um, documentary. It was a, a yeah like a two hour um, documentary about corporate radio. Um, a little dated, but it was yeah. good. Well, it was from 2015. Yeah. 
yeah, corporate.fm. And there's some parallels there that I think Dave Jackson turned us on to that. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, I, it makes you go, hmm, just a little bit, doesn't it? Well, it does, and it and it does kind of um, raise some questions for the podcasting space too. Is is our, you know, what are the the implications of that? Right, as you look at the podcasting medium, um, it it does feel like the podcasting medium was a little bit of a reaction to that, and I think I'd mentioned that earlier in the show. But um, but what does that mean for radio? I mean, does <clears throat> does radio have you know, a opportunity in the future if they do go back to their their more community roots, right? Um, They're not going to. They can't afford to. Right. Well, it it feels like that if there's a, a need for it, somebody will fill it, right? And I think that's kind of what the, the low-power FMs were trying to do, but I don't know that they're they're getting any traction, though. That's the thing. And I, I it's also a societal thing, too, or... People nowadays um, think more national than they do uh, national and global. Um, I, I don't know if you think about local communities, um, how much people really focus on what's going on in their local communities. And that's been radio's strong suit. You know, and is podcasting, as we grow in audience, are we going to become stronger and stronger a local medium um, and that ultimately mostly replaces radio. Um, I think there's a I think there's a huge opportunity, but I you know I got to thinking a little bit and those that haven't watched this, it's on Netflix. Again, it's corporate.fm is the name of the of the program or the the video. And the crux of it is is that when now iHeart, which was Clear Channel before, came in and swooped all these stations up for billions of dollars which they've now restructured in their bankruptcy they basically gutted radio stations across the country and whereas a radio station would have had a local news director would have had uh, reporters on the on the ground um, all this stuff that happened locally that largely uh, disappeared and you may and if if clear channel owned eight stations um, in a in a market, they may have had only one that actually had staff in it uh, that actually um, had people that were talking to people in the community and doing you know community type of um, metrics. Everything else was on autoplay. You know, basically at, at five o'clock on a Friday all the way through Monday, there was no one there, and there was a fire in the town. There would be no one to report on a fire or whatever would happen. Everything was largely. Um, automated and then centralized through regions and eliminated thousands of jobs in the radio business. So it took, you know, if the local DJ maybe um, have, you know, pre-programmed the show for the day. And he's he's done that. He's not doing it live. He's He's done a couple hours worth of work to do a whole day's worth of programming. But um, it was really it's really kind of an eye opener of how it's changed and what Rob's referring to is is that the interviews with the coach, the interviews with the local band, the interviews with uh, uh, some civic stuff going on and public service announcements don't happen anymore. Right. Yeah. You know that whole 
community media is definitely on the on the the decline right now. Um, and does podcasting have a role to play in that future? I guess it only has a role to play if uh, people in communities want community media because the trend lines are showing that they they don't want it. Um, I don't. I how do you? I'll give you a good analogy here, Rob. And this I'll take you back to my military days. So when I was um, um, when I first got in the Navy, I, I was flying out of a squadron called BQ-1, and uh, as a EP-3, they also had A-3 aircraft, and um, the A-3 served a certain purpose um, off the carrier deck, and uh, and they basically were doing uh, reconnaissance and protection of the ship from afar. And that aircraft got to a point where it was no longer um, viable. They had to retire the aircraft. And there was a gap of about three to four years before the replacement aircraft um, got back on the, uh, on the carrier deck. But because that aircraft had been gone for three, been gone for three to four years, the, the task groups got um, used to operating without that aircraft. Right. And what it, what ended up happening was is they they said, well, we, we've lived without you already for a, a number of years. We really don't need you anymore, but I've got a tanker need, and you can fill the tanker need. We're going to make you a tanker. Even though we've got this multimillion-dollar reconnaissance aircraft, we're going to uh, put you on tank duty. You're going to tank the aircraft that, are, uh, that need gas. And very, very quickly, that squadron was dissolved because um, there had been a, a long enough gap that there was no longer a need. And what it really was is those of us that were actively still working in that space, we said, oh, my God, what are you doing? This is you know, the, the protection you're giving up and blah, 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 blah. And yet – they had learned to live without it. So what we've done in radio, <laughs> there's been a long enough gap, four, five, six years here, the local communities have learned to live without that information. Right. And out of sight, out of mind, how do you recover that? Maybe you never will. Yeah, I mean, that that's kind of what it seems like to me. I know there's been conversations in the podcast medium for a long time about local podcasting. Um, I just have, have a sense that it's never really gotten that much traction um, because people are so focused on what's national. You know, I think that they, the national public radio folks are kind of in, a, in that similar type of position, right, uh, when they kind of struggle between their local affiliates and their national shows that they do for NPR. Um, you know, they've been wrestling with local versus national for years now. Um, and you know, from what I gathered, their local affiliate stations seem to be holding on. Um, but you know, it's always that tug of war between, you know, you know, what's, you know, do, do we, do we embrace this American life uh, as a podcast or do we embrace, embrace this American life as a, as a radio show um, that airs in the local market? Now, granted, uh, you know, that's an example of a nationally syndicated um, um, show, right, that, that kind of lives in hundreds of radio stations at the same time that it's a podcast. But there's other shows that exist in local radio markets 
um, that are put out as podcasts. And oftentimes those local shows don't get very much traction as podcasts. Uh, so you got the inverse going on there too. And it's all about um, scale of awareness. Um, and as the, the audience, I think, Todd, I mean, I, I think as we see numbers of people listening to podcasts grow in any given local market, it becomes a little more viable to build audience in a local market and target the, that local market. But, you know, I don't, I don't know. I mean, uh, is, is radio going to still take a big chunk of the listening audience for decades to come? Uh, are, you know, I think that there's a lot of questions about what's going to happen to that radio frequency. And, and as you look to the long-term future, um, is it a generational shift? I know Todd, you've been saying on this show for years that your kids don't listen to radio. Uh, what does that bode for the future of radio? I think radio screwed in the long run. Right. They've got to, you know, that they're not going anywhere anytime soon. But if radio has stopped being the turn to when there's an accident or if there is a, right. well, of course, now we've got Waze. The other day, uh, well, you know, it, I was using Waze to get around a traffic incident. Uh, wasn't using the radio per se or what happens when, you know, radio used to be the place you tune to get what's happening locally. So is now is there an app for that? If I want to know what bands are playing, do I listen to the radio to find out what bands are playing? No, there's probably a probably an app for that. But maybe we're culturally and in in this corporate.fm should make all of us a little bit leery in that radio may have uh radio may be causing um less progression in music less progression in ideas and thought because now it's a nationalized it's all nationalized and you've got a 30 song play track and that's it so right. there's no exposure to new artists there's no exposure to new ideas so as podcasters I hope I hope we can fill the gap but to do local Rob you're going to need dedicated you're going to have to have podcasters they're going to have to team up yeah and that's the only way it's going to be possible. An individual podcaster cannot do this on their own. They're going to have to find four or five people that they want to work with and focus on local content. It's going to be a it's going to be a tough row. It's going to be a tough. It's going to be hard, but I think there's potential. But yeah. you've seen some people do local. Oh, yeah. How successful have they been? I mean, I think some have done done fairly well. I mean, I mean, I think if you keep your expenses low and and really dig into the the community and get involved in the community. I think some of these podcasts that I've I've heard about and have spoken to the creators have uh, have found a, a place for themselves. But I don't know that it's financially a viable thing to do. I, th I think it's like a lot of podcasting; it's still kind of a passion project. Um, and and I think some of these folks have um, vision for what it could be, and they're willing to work to to make it happen. Um, but like you say, Todd, I mean, it, you know, the the trend lines don't look good at this point. And you know, I've I got to thinking about after watching that, Rob, and it's ironic that we both did. Is that the um, what have I been telling radio stations for the past? four or five years take your local interviews with coaches bands 
And I don't listen to radio, so I don't know. I didn't know that they weren't doing much of that anymore. Most radio stations don't have the local coach in, don't have local band in, don't talk about the, you know, they don't have that civic. So, so I was telling radio to do what I thought radio was, and it turns out because of consolidation, most of that has disappeared. So I'm thinking to myself, well, I was giving those folks advice on something that may not exist largely anymore. Now there are still, I am sure everyone has a local station, has a local jock that does local stuff, but the number of those choices I think have dropped. I don't know here in Hawaii, maybe because we're isolated. I, we still have some stations that do that. I can off the top of my head. I know three that are morning drives. that have live local, Morning Drive folks that do what I'm referring to. What about Seattle, Rob? Yeah, I, there's there's still a you know a a, a group of uh, radio stations that are still catering to the local market. You know, they're doing news talk weather um, that that goes on here, and and it's it's supporting the community. I think to a certain degree. Um, AM stations is really kind of fallen off of the, the, the wagon. Um, people are mainly listening to FM now. Um, and I think it's not surprising that, that a lot of the talk stations have moved over to FM. Um, so, you know, just the audio quality is, is a big reason right there. Um, and, but music is still pretty dominant in the radio markets here. The, the talk format um, tends to skew, as we're seeing nationally, it's it's pretty conservative talk, which you, you don't see conservative talk being really strong in the podcasting sector, too, which is an interesting trend line, too. And that's that's a little bit of a, a, a drive towards the demographics um, as well as, you know, why you see radio tends to cater to um, older older, more mature, uh, people of the population. Um, and that, that's what I guess has me concerned about, about the future is because, uh, if younger people aren't coming in and adopting radio and if radio doesn't, um, become a little bit more like podcasting and how they look at content and how they look at how they're presenting themselves, um, then radio is going to have a struggle in the future, I think. And and I might be wrong on this whole local thing. Uh, and I guess when I get back in the mainland, I'll start listening to a little more radio to see if I can get a feel. You know, is there this morning guy and that's talking local community events? You know, is that still a piece, or is it? Am I listening on FM and listening to some nationally syndicated morning show? Um, I guess that will be a teller for me. I'm going to have to flip through some frequencies because I don't listen to radio. Yeah, so I don't really I, listen that much either. So, so I we might be wrong on our analogy here that they're not doing a lot of local, but um, well, I don't think that they're doing as much as they used to. Um, I think it's been a cost cutting that's happened uh, around staffing and just like what we saw with that 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 documentary. I mean, it's that's what's been going on at these stations. It's it's a blend of uh, local and national um, content. I mean, some of the the radio shows that are produced in the large markets are then syndicated to other markets, right? So th- there's always been a couple of shows 
on a couple of the big radio stations in Seattle that have been syndicated nationally, but they've been produced right in Seattle. Um, mm-hmm. So you you kind of have that dynamic going on too, and then oftentimes those shows become podcasts, and um, you know, but they're the vast majority of their listening audience comes from the 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 radio side of things. Um, so you know, I think that radio still has a place in these markets, and I just wonder about the future though i mean that's that's my concern at this point uh, i i think the handwriting's on the wall of the future but they're not you know it's still a multi-billion dollar market so you know they're not going anywhere anytime soon and right and uh but you know why is iheart pushing everyone to the app you know i've heard you know that i there are people are telling me that iheart is like advertising podcasts like crazy right now um I keep getting emails from folks saying, wow, I've, I heard an iHeart, five iHeart commercials today, and they were all promoting podcasts. So I guess that's good for the podcasting space that they're promoting podcasts. Yeah, but right. sure. are they he- are they hedging here and thinking that uh, that the heartbeat, they're, they're on a timeline of destruction and they need to move digital? That's, yeah, I would say that, that's, that that would be the takeaway that would be pretty obvious, right, from that. Um, they're seeing the handwriting on the wall as well, uh, like like the rest of us are. Uh, or are they just smelling money and trying to get as many people to stop listening on Pandora and Spotify and want them to come over and listen to an iHeart? I think there's some motivation for that, too. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I was talking with a, a, a group out of um, New York and – um, I kept telling them I, so we're, we were talking about the space and about advertising, and this guy had done a lot of work in radio. And I said, "Please, please!" I said, "You have to remember that ninety or ninety-five percent of podcasts that are being, or maybe even higher than that, maybe ninety-eight percent of podcasts are doing being done today." When you're talking to the general manager, you're also talking to the advertising director, you're talking to the program director, and you're talking to the talent at the same time. I said, don't forget that about podcasting. And that's what's different between podcasting and radio. You're, you don't have, in the majority of these cases, someone that is, you know, there isn't a department. It's a department of one, and the guy or gal is on their, like I'm on my living room uh, couch this morning. Uh, someone could be in the kitchen. They could be a spare bedroom. Um, and boy, I tell you, that some of these folks have a very hard time still wrapping their head around the concept that one podcaster, one individual can reach audiences as big as they do and not have any staff. Right. Yeah. It is possible, but... I do think that there's more and more teams being created out there. I keep working with uh, podcasters that are that are building teams around their shows because they realize that they can't do it all. So they, they'll have a almost like a producer that's that's part time on their on, on their program and to try and help uh, fill in. So I still I still think that's the minority, but right. if people are do, if people are doing that, that's great. Um, bootstrapping a, a show and trying to build it up and get it to the point where it can be monetized and you know all those parties uh, win from that. And I did have one thing that I um, we're near the end here, and if anyone has um, any insights to this, I'd like to know. Chartable had announced their smart links, and 
I've asked uh, publicly a couple of times if SmartLinks was GDPR compliant. I haven't got any responses from them. So if Chartable, if you're listening, um, I'd love to know if your SmartLinks is GDPR compliant and a little bit in how you did that. Um, because I'm concerned that SmartLinks is not GDPR compliant. So, and I might be completely wrong. I just, I'd like to know one way or the other. Yeah, sure. Um, Anything, did you have anything else that you'd saw came out on the news that you were curious about, Rob? Well, I saw that there there was more kind of podcast awards that uh, were announced in in Britain and what, down in Australia? Yeah. Yeah, they had night in the night, looked like real nice backed events. So, yeah, lot, lots of podcast awards. As a matter of fact, uh, my podcast awards are the original podcast awards, the first podcast awards, right. uh, the People's Choice Podcast Awards nominations open on July 1st. So if you're not registered, you've got about a month. Um, and we're listen, looking for podcasters to uh, help sponsor the event too. So yeah, run a little behind this year on sponsorships. So. Maybe too many competing award shows, I, I'm beginning to wonder. <laughs> yeah, right. I mean, maybe your show, your 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 awards needs to be turned into the, the American Podcast Awards or something like that. I don't know. Because <laughs> uh, you've I got to the do that. British and Australian and, yeah. And we've always been global, so, but it's yeah, been, you know, most of the, but we've it's it's largely been U.S. centric. Now we did remove the mature category and replaced it with uh, storytelling and what did I say? Yeah, it's a, it's basically a storytelling category. Oh, so good. okay, so that there was a change. I think a storytelling in one other. It's storytelling in something else. So uh, when people register, they will they will see that. But uh, so and of course any- the infinite. Yeah, does that incorporate um, uh, like true the true crime genre? Yeah, it would be. Okay. Yeah, anything it's anything it's uh, storytelling uh, whatsoever. So let me if I can. I should know what this is because I changed it myself. I'm being stupid here. Um, okay, we as a reminder, we added storytelling and drama as a category this year, and removed mature. So it's storytelling and drama is the. Is the new category this year? Cool. Yeah, Todd, did you see the uh, the news that came out a little bit about Spotify? I guess they're they're testing what's called a I guess a voice controlled music and podcast device called Car Thing. I don't know. Did mm-hmm. you see this? I did. Uh, Spotify's really reaching here, aren't they? <laughs> right. I'm not sure what a car thing is, but. Uh, but we'll see on that. Yeah. And uh, just this past week, Gimmit launched a new script LGBTQ series, which is cool. And, you know, the LGBTQ has always been um, – it's not a new thing. Matter of fact, some uh, – there was a, a huge – and there still is. Um, there was a huge category of LGBTQ plus from the very beginning of podcasting. Even in the 2005 time frame, there was a bunch of shows, and I think the reason there was is because they did not have a voice. There was no way that you know they, they were having a very hard time getting their message out. Um, 
would not be covered by local radio. No one was covering LGBTQ, maybe except for in areas like San Francisco or you know where there were specific communities of LGBTQ. But there, um, you know, that's always been a big category in podcasting. So, uh, matter of fact, on the podcast awards, we have a separate category for LGBTQ, and always have. And um, I think that um, that's another thing is people need to realize is that. What podcasting allowed in its formation was those that didn't have a voice, those that had no way to reach masses and were, uh, let's be honest, uh, shunned or discriminated against or whatever word we want to use. There was no – they weren't they weren't blocked. They were excluded, yeah. Right. And they gave them the ability to – say what they wanted and say what they needed and get messaging out and education. And so I think that's another, you know, things we like little things like this, we forget about the core of why podcasting became as popular as it did. Yeah. Now I think uh, we need to keep talking about it, Todd. So we keep people remembering what the roots of this medium really are, because as we move more towards chasing the almighty dollar and, and you know, big corporations get involved in this this medium. We can easily kind of lose sight of um, what the mediums, what the culture of this medium is about. And and I think that that's that's something that you know I think can be embraced and still have you know good sized businesses that are that are supporting people and paying employees and and paying shareholders and things like that. I think we can have both. It's just uh, it's the temptation to go too far down one side or the other is, is pretty great. I mean, just case in point, look at radio. So, so I think that's like what we need to be conscious of, of maybe what we want to kind of avoid. (laughs) Well, I, you know, Rob, let's be frank, you know, as more money comes in and pressures about that money and how it's represented, we go right back into the same situation or could go back in the same situation where um, biases and exclusions start to happen. And so, you know, we're, you know, I think we're at a point now where um, fringe opinions, um, well, you know, we could go extreme right. We could go extreme left. We can go. You know, there's you know, there's a whole genre of topics that corporate America is very scared of, and when corporate dollars start coming in, those those uh, those thoughts transcend into content restrictions, and this right. is not what podcasting is about. Right. And say what you will, but there is huge biases still throughout the corporate world. Right, right. Well, there's agendas, right? There's people have business agendas. They they want to make money, and and that's that's all part of a capitalistic system that that, that we have here. And and but somehow we we have to balance it right with with. Um, the roots of this medium of being kind of very community centric. And what I fear sometimes is that, that the, the movements in the industry are, you know, are moving maybe a little bit away from that. And, and I think, you know, you and me, Todd and, and others just need to keep, keep pushing that, that 
that community aspect and hopefully we can hang on to it for as long as, you know, we're involved anyway, um, to keep, keep pushing that. Cause there will come a time, Todd, you and I are, won't be part of this medium and, and there's going to be, there's going to be a need for new leaders to take over and help lead this, this medium into the future. And if those new leaders don't have the same values that came out of the formation of this, this medium, they could be lost. Yeah, I think it should just be uh, required, absolutely required, that anyone that's involved in podcasting in a corporate level should be forced to do a podcast and not necessarily a, a podcast about podcasting. Um, I think that uh, they just don't understand the – well, and, and everything we've said here, Rob, is that we were born out of – the podcasting space was a born out of a – ability to stick it to the man and 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 not have constraints and controls and as long as a semblance of that still exists where we know that the medium can't be controlled um i i think we're going to be okay but I, I i again i think i agree with you we just have to continue to to be beating the drum that this is this is why this space was so popular um, and why it exploded the way it did, um, because it gave voice to people that, well, and we've talked about it many, many times in this show. It's like no one could control how the media was distributed, and now everyone wants it. And then, and to a certain extent, they are controlling it. But at least at the raw level, you can still take a any almost any podcatcher that's available out there and subscribe to a raw RSS feed. And get access to content that may be um, um, not listed on a directory or two. Right. Right. Yeah. Well, well Todd, I think we're we've, long. we've uh, gone the full duration today. <laughs> yeah, that's good. So let's uh, we'll plan on. I'm available next week. How about you? Um, I'm actually going to be at Podex in uh, oh. Nashville. So uh, yeah, I'm probably not going to be available on on Saturday. All right. Well, then probably the next show will be from uh, – well, I'll be on the East Coast time zone. So um, yeah. I'm uh, making that transition. I fly out of here uh, late afternoon on Saturday, June 1st, and we'll be uh, – then I'll be in Michigan largely and then splitting my time between there and Columbus. And then I'll be back in Hawaii every six to eight weeks though. That's my current uh, current plan because the family's still here. Sure, sure. So the so when are you expecting to get your your studio kind of reset up again? What's well, um, the studio itself is probably a, more than a month out, but maybe okay. maybe I'll have some sort of makeshift video stuff possible in a couple of weeks. We'll see. We'll see. It's it's going to be really raw. It'll be a blank canvas, I think. There might be an empty room with some cameras in it, but who knows. Well, I'll see what I can see what I can jury rig up. Okay. Awesome. <laughs> All right. All well, right. your so is your container on the boat heading over the 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 the, the pond yet or no, the containers in the driveway, they pick it up on – it's actually on the side of the street. They pick it up on Tuesday, and it goes on the boat on Friday. Uh, it'll be uh, in uh, L.A. 10 days later, and then they're saying 21-day transit time. So they take it off the, the boat, put it on rail, send it to Detroit, 
Then once it gets to Detroit, they truck it to me, door-to-door service. So um, I've posted a couple of pictures on Facebook. I'll actually post the final picture of what it looks like filled up. It's not really totally filled, about five feet high of stuff, 20 feet wide, or eight, eight by eight by 20 with uh, it about five feet tall. So um, I, I got more in there than I thought I would. So anyway, to, I'm Todd at Blueberry.com. I'm uh, uh, Rob um, at RobGreenlee.com. Uh, so you can send me an email there if you want to. And um, this is my only podcast now, Todd. I'm not doing any others. Oh, Wow, for now. Well, we'll see, right? It's still <laughs> it's still a little early for me to make that determination, but the Speaker Live show ended um uh you know a, a little over a week ago. So, and the final episode is there if you want to go go listen to that. It was it was an interesting episode, I thought. My own personal thought anyway. I looked back at the the past of the Speaker Live show and played some clips from past uh past shows to kind of give a give an example of the journey that i went through with that program so um but anyway that's so are you going to be making cameo appearances on the feed uh yeah probably next week you you're going to hear me on the feed yeah uh lovely <laughs> spreading propaganda. <laughs> propaganda right you know All propaganda you know, you know the, the feed. The feed was, uh, I think, Rob's little dig at me. The way he named that show. Uh-huh. So just remember, only at Blueberry can you control your own podcast feed and own it. So I'll just leave it at that. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> All right, Todd. Fair enough. All right, everyone. Thanks so much for being here. And we'll okay. take care. We'll see you uh, probably two weeks from now yeah, on the new right. media. All right. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye bye. Bye. Bye, everybody.